This episode of Down to Business is brought to you by TF Moran, a leading land planning and engineering firm with offices in both Bedford and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hey, everybody. This is Jeff Feingold, editor of New Hampshire Business Review, welcoming you to our Down to Business podcast for September 9th, 2020. Wow. Summer is officially gone. Well, not officially, but unofficially gone. And it feels like we didn't have one, but I guess that's another whole conversation for another time. Anyway, today we have a, a really interesting person coming on. It's Steve Camarino, who's president and CEO of the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative, which, as most of you know, is uh, the second largest utility in the state, I believe, but also it covers a wide, wide area of, of the rural parts of the state with about 85,000 members. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's, it's been a, a, a very important economic driver for the state. You know, a, cre- a creature, a, a creation of the Earth Depression during the times when rural, rural electrification was a, a, a very important thing to do. And now we've come, you know, almost 100 years later and we're at a different point in the, apparently, in the cooperative's uh, evolution. And that's why we have Steve on to talk about. He wrote an op-ed that appeared in our, appears on our website on nhbr.com talking about how broadband is the next essential service that has to be provided by the co-op. And Steve, first, welcome to the uh, to Down to Business. And could you tell me a little bit about what what's going on uh, uh, in at the co-op in terms of uh, this, you know, this evolution you're going through? Sure. Well, uh, good morning, Jeff. And uh, so we've been uh, really focusing on what we can do to bring high-speed internet service to our service territory for several years. We we know that it's been an important um, service that our members are looking for, and we serve large portions of rural New Hampshire, as you indicated. We serve about 115 municipalities throughout the state. Um, many of them just portions of the municipality. And uh, it's something we've been focused on, but have been hoping that we could entice someone else into our service territory because at our core, we're an electric utility, as you said, and our members rely on us um, first and foremost for that. Um, But it became clear that uh, others were not coming into the less densely populated areas and we needed to look at the issue um, more aggressively and more creatively to see what what we could do and that that brought us to today i I will say that uh, while we were doing that as as your listeners obviously know covid19 uh, introduced a whole new um, sense of urgency to the issue of broadband internet service in, in New Hampshire and throughout the country. And so that really caused our board of directors to say, what can we do more affirmatively rather than just waiting or relying on third parties to to take steps? Yeah. Now, I, I do know that earlier this year, there was, uh, I think it was driven partly because of COVID that there was such an obvious uh, it just seems like there's a almost a vacuum of broadband in certain parts of your area that has really uh, affected economic development in many parts of this that part of this parts of the state. Um, I guess some of the members actually tried to change the bylaws of the of the co-op to, to get this um, to to kind of get uh, uh, give a, a, a jump start to getting a broadband. Is that 
what where's the timing work on that as opposed to what you guys were planning and then this whole other movement by the part of some of the members to do well I, I, yeah I, I think it's something that i would describe as happening in parallel so we had been working for several years with and directly with a number of our communities to look at what what could be done and to be honest not a lot of progress was being made on any front and i i think some of our members were you know frustrated that nobody was stepping in to um, really uh, move things forward and so a group of, of members uh, centered in our the lakes region portion of our service territory um, filed a petition to have our articles of organization amended and that would have changed our core purpose to include broadband internet service and actually at the time the board of directors in a mixed vote um, opposed that change because we still are at our core we are an electric utility and our members count on us for that and we the board felt and uh, i think it's fair to say we still feel that that is our, our number one purpose and nothing we do can put that at, at risk or threaten it um, that didn't mean that the board wasn't highly supportive of trying to find ways to bring internet service to our members and so even though that um, proposed change lost, and, and mind you, it, it got uh, about 64% in favor, but it takes two thirds mm. to pass. So it had very strong support. And the issue really was a kind of a technical one, which is, did we wanna change our core purpose? Um, so the, the board continued to look at broadband internet service options and came to really see that a lot of the opportunities would require the board to move very quickly. And our bylaws, which, or a separate document um, would have required another member vote if we were to acquire broadband assets. So our utility is allowed by its organizational documents to go into other products and services besides electricity, but there's this technical glitch that we can't own assets um, in something like broadband internet service without a member vote. And in this day and age, we couldn't really move quickly enough uh, without getting that change. So that's what we're trying to do today is get a bylaw change. Okay, so so the, and that and that's uh, what kind of a time frame is that? Is that um, next year? Is it you have next annual meeting or can is uh, no, uh, Well, we actually want to move fairly quickly because there's some funding opportunities out there. And so uh, there we have uh, sent out a notice to our members that there will be an election held to on a proposed bylaw change and the voting will begin on September 15th and close, I believe, on October 15th, about a month later. So that is imminent. And uh, there are, as I said, there's some real opportunities out there and a couple that we're actively working on as pilots. And so we wanted to get this out to the members as, as quickly as possible and say the board is, is ready to move quickly if it determines that the, the opportunities make good sense for the co-op. So nothing's been predetermined, but uh, the board wants to be able to act uh, when opportunities come along. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that you, because of uh, COVID, they, you have that CARES Act, that, the federal CARES Act that was sending you know, trillion dollars or whatever in all kinds of different ways. But uh, specifically, the co-op received some money, I guess several million, like $6 million to build out fiber, broadband fiber in two towns in Lempster and Colebrook. Now, is that, that's, that's the only, are those the only towns you're working on right now or are there others as well? 
So uh, there were two grant applications that we put in. One was for the town of Lemster, which um, your listeners may be interested to know is where our very first poll was located when the co-op uh, huh. first began during uh, the depression. So that's a little bit of historical uh, significance for us. And the other one, although we refer to it as the Colebrook Project, it actually involves um, unserved members that are in Colebrook, Stewartstown, and Clarksville. So three towns in our what are our Colebrook district. Uh, for the moment, those are the only ones. Uh, we refer to them as pilots. There's roughly a little over 900 members that would get service under under that uh, funding. Uh, but if the vote passes, uh, it's our intention to look more broadly at serving our entire service territory. Hmm. So I, I, I want to make sure about this money. It says you got six, I'm looking this up in an article we had, $6.7 million in funding. Is that what it's going to take to build out the fiber in those two towns? Because that seems like you've got a lot to chew on. That's, that's true. That's that's correct. No, nope. that is that is the number, and and then there's additionally there's the cost of what we call service drops and customer premises equipment. There's other capital investment that's needed, but that's as you bring uh, subscribers on to the system. But it's so that's oh yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, so so the capital that you're referring to, I mean, that is representative of what it costs in these um, sort of less densely populated areas, and that's been the hurdle is that commercial providers have been reluctant to build in areas where the density is less than say 15 or 16 potential subscribers per mile and they're literally towns for example in the lakes region where there's service in the downtown area and out for a point but as you go down some of the more rural roads and the density becomes less the service just stops so the people mm -hmm. at the end of the street don't have service and the people at the beginning of the street do yeah, this is this is like this money is going to be used to build what they call the last mile to actually to the house to the home of somebody. So you'll have okay. Effectively, yes, the backbone and the distribution system that bring that passes each home. So that is the last mile fiber to the home. Because you guys are already at all these homes for the most part. I mean, it's people unless people choose to live off the grid, and uh, so it's so when you're talking about doing this. And we're looking at this kind of kind of high price tag. It actually may be even less expensive for something like the co-op to do this because you have so much of the wires and the poles already, you know, in your system. Is that, or am I am I just not understanding this the right way? Yeah, it it wouldn't be less expensive actually because um, commercial providers attach to the very same poles, and there's a whole right. regime by which um, uh, other broadband providers can attach to poles and we treat them in a non-discriminatory fashion. Probably the, the um, two biggest, well, the, the, really the biggest difference is that we are a member-owned cooperative. We are a nonprofit. We don't have shareholders who we're trying to get a return for. And so we have what I would call more patient capital. Um, we can, obviously we need to run a business that runs in the black but we can have a much longer payback period. We can accept lower rates of return because all we have to do is be able to service the debt. We don't have to pay dividends to shareholders. And so that gives us uh, an economic advantage to serve areas that are less densely populated, less favorable to um, commercial providers. And that's really why you know, we are looking at this and why others, frankly, uh, have chosen not to serve in the past.
That's really interesting. Just take a break for a second. We'll be right back after this. For more than 52 years, TF Moran has been a leading land planning and engineering firm with offices in both Bedford and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Their professional service areas include civil, structural, and traffic engineering, land surveying, landscape architecture, environmental, shoreland, and wetland permitting, stormwater monitoring, as well as other construction support services. TF Moran utilizes the latest technology, putting their expertise to work to deliver high-quality, cost-effective, and low-impact solutions to best serve their clients. TF Moran is involved in some of New Hampshire's largest development projects, such as the SNHU Milliard Parking Garage in downtown Manchester, Woodmont Commons in Londonderry, and Whole Foods and the Market and Main development in Bedford. TF Moran is deeply committed to the communities in which its team members live and work. It's honored to have received the New Hampshire 200 Award and the Business Excellence Award from New Hampshire Business Review. They were voted the best of business in the engineering category for the last eight years in a row. Please visit tfmoran.com to view their project portfolio and learn more. Anyway, we're talking with Steve Camarino from the uh, New Hampshire Electric Cooperative. Uh, Steve, you know, you mentioned this whole thing about the cost of it, and it makes it, it I'm thinking back, not that I was around then, but I understand my history a little pretty well, to the creation of the cooperative and all the other electric cooperatives around the country to electrify the rural areas of the country. And it was the same idea that commercial uh, providers just weren't willing or able to bring electricity to all the parts of the United States. And that was the whole part of the effort in the depression to, to, to electrify all those areas. So th there's a lot of parallels between those days and today, which is really interesting. I mean, what, what do you see about the federal government's role in all this? So the, the parallels are extremely strong. Uh, first of all, the reason that the rural electrification program was begun was that significant parts of rural and agricultural America were being left behind economically and they were really in, in, in poverty because they didn't have the same economic uh, opportunities that more densely populated areas had. And we see a parallel with broadband internet service um, that as we move forward, people are not gonna wanna begin businesses or live in areas where they don't have access to good internet service. Um, in terms of the, the government's role, uh, back during the rural electrification era, there were low interest, uh, federally guaranteed loans. Um, today, there is um, federal grant money that's available uh, to serve these underserved areas. And um, we really think that, you know, we've seen how far the commercial providers are willing to build out. Their economic model is clear. As I said, if it's less than 15 or 16 potential subscribers per mile, they're not going to go there. And uh, this is one of those places where um, I think large parts of America will be left behind unless there you know, is continued government assistance. And, and there has been. There have been a number of significant programs, uh, and that has continued during uh, some of the uh, pandemic uh, funding uh, programs. Mm. Is it what 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 is it, have you do you I, do you talk with the members of the congressional delegation about what they're doing on this? Uh, I know that I believe Senator Hassan has been 
pretty out front on this thing, and I believe I believe Senator Shaheen as well. And what is what? I mean, what what does that stand now? I mean, I, you know, I know we're talking about another stimulus bill and everything, but I'm looking past COVID, which I will call myself an optimist, and let's say that it goes away or we get have it under control, and we go back to what is a basically a semblance of a normal economy. There's still going to be a need to build out all this broadband. So what what is the long term uh, plan? Is there is there a plan? Is there a hope? You know, over the long term, how this can actually be accomplished? Because it's not going to be done in a year, obviously. What what right. is what is the plan? So well, first of all, I should say both our congressional delegation and the governor's office have been extremely supportive of efforts to. Um, reach our underserved portions of the state and maximize funding for that. And one of the things we're very focused on right now is that the, the CARES funding that we took advantage of has a very, very tight time frame and requires build out by December 15th. And uh, I know that our congressional delegation is doing their best to see if that deadline can be extended. And there were some monies that weren't able to be spent uh, at by the state in terms of giving out grants uh, because of that problem. So I know our, both the governor's office and our congressional delegation are trying to address that. Um, I, I think in terms of uh, the long term, there's going to need to be continued federal support, whether in the in the form of you know low cost borrowing or or grant monies. Um, but we are very hopeful that under the current um, funding that's been made available, not, not just the CARES money, but money that will continue to, to be available from the federal level, that 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 has a significant potential to address um, New Hampshire's problem in terms of the co-op's role in that. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, there are a couple of rounds of funding that are, that are coming, uh, but as I say, that funding is really critical to um, reaching all of New Hampshire. Yeah, you know, you raise this I, this point about the about the deadline for getting build out. I mean, um, first of all, how how long will it take to to build out in Lemster and Colebrook, for example? I mean, because these this is these these are the two projects that have to be done by December fifteenth. Are you confident that can be done by then? We we are increasingly confident, is what I would tell you. Um, so that is a Herculean effort. I I can't overstate you know, how much focus that is is taking. But we do believe we're going to make that December 15th deadline for both of those projects. Um, but uh, just bear in mind, that's roughly a little north of 900 members. And we have, in terms of actual locations to serve, over 70,000 that we would need to reach to serve our whole service territory. And so you can see that, um, the scale of that is probably something that would require, say, roughly four years to reach mm -hmm. everyone once we began. So far, we don't, you know, we've not completed our business model for pursuing this throughout our service territory. Mm -hmm. And that's that's one of the things we really have to do is ensure that we can do this in a way that does not adversely affect our um, electric rates, and that's something that is of key importance to our members. And so the board is looking at that very closely and making sure that the financial model will show that it makes sense for us to do this and not have the broadband business subsidized in any way by the uh, electric business once it's underway. 
Yeah, so so basically, you know, what I think about this, you're talking about a, an investment that's, you know, millions of dollars in these two communities. and But on the other hand, you're also talking about the possibility of, certainly from what I know about Colebrook, because I, I, I used to live near Lemster, and, uh, you know, Lemster is a, is a nice town and everything, but it doesn't have the actual uh, ability. It doesn't have, doesn't have the economic dyna dynamism that, Colebrook probably once had and could have again. And so this is an important thing for, for a town like Colebrook to get broadband, especially if you look at the history of what's gone, the economic history of the North Country. You know, it, it, it's a, it will be a major economic development boost to be able to tell potential employers, look, we have broadband here, or even people who just want to live there and, and work from Colebrook. Uh, so I mean, it's it's it is really it really does strike me as almost an essential thing that needs to be done for communities like that. And like you say, you have what 100, 110 of them in your in your area. Is that is that have you heard that from from people in the business community in, in the cooperative area? We we have heard it, and <clears throat> we've heard it from from the municipalities themselves as well. And uh, I can't stress strongly enough as a cooperative one of the focuses of our mission is to ensure the vibrancy of the communities that we serve. We're very integrated with those communities because our existence is made up of the people who live there. Those are our owners, our members. And so um, we see the um, viability and vibrancy of those communities as being going hand in glove with the long-term success of the cooperative. If the communities that we serve aren't successful economically, then the cooperative won't be successful. And uh, that's not a problem for the organization. It's a problem for the people that the organization serves. And so that's why you know, we see the internet service as being closely tied to um, the success of, our, you know, of the organization as an electric service provider. Yeah, it really is. It does strike because this is something that at the business review we've been covering not just since COVID, but for many years about the need for rural broadband. And I remember going myself, uh, writing an article many years ago when John Johnny Sununu was a senator and he had attended a conference about building out. I don't even know if they even used the word broadband back then, but it was about building a high-speed internet in rural areas, and that was oh. 15 years ago or more, and uh, you know it's been a long time since then. And it, it's unfortunate that it's taking something like COVID, which has exposed all the flaws, all the all the shortcomings in in service in, in rural areas to, to get people to do this. I'm not saying that this is that's because it, that's your guys responding that way, but in terms of the federal government, I think to realize that this is something that's really important for those communities. Yeah, I, I also think uh, what's happened uh, is in. COVID has brought about, I've heard it said, uh, th this was several months ago, someone said it brought about 10 years of change in 10 weeks. Um, and uh, I think that's, we've seen the same thing on the internet side, that we were headed in this direction in terms of the dependency on internet service, but COVID accelerated that greatly. And I think from the cooperative standpoint, that was a significant factor that this idea that we were gonna support others in doing this and be part of a solution um, it couldn't wait anymore, and others were not stepping forward, and so the board really um, 
decided that we need to look much more aggressively at what can we do and do it now. Yeah. Well, I guess if you want to look for silver lining in COVID, that's one of them, I guess. So anyway, Steve Camarino, uh, President and CEO of the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative, I really appreciate you coming, spending some time with us. And really best of luck with this project because it's obviously very important to, for the state for this to be done as completely and effectively as possible. Thanks very much. Good talking. Good talking with you. Now, uh, that's it for Down to Business for today. And I want to thank our producer and publisher, my boss, Ernesto Burden. And uh, to tell everybody to be well and see you next week.